You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Have you always wanted to hear the hockey stories told from the press box? For your premier source of hockey prospect news from across the AHL, NCAA, Canadian Hockey League, and international leagues, this is your all-access pass to The Press Zone, a hockey podcast packed with news, analysis, interviews, and entertainment featured on AHLReport.com. Your hosts, Amy Johnson and Rick Stevens, are experienced, credentialed hockey reporters bringing you stories built from strong connections throughout the hockey community and from inside rinks all across North America. Welcome to The Press Zone. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of The Press Zone Montreal, right here on the AHL Report and Rocket Sports Media. We're a proud affiliate of the Hockey Podcast Network, in case you didn't know. Uh, And we are so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, I'm your host, Amy Johnson, the lead correspondent here at the AHL Report. I'm joined each and every week by my tremendous co-host. Couldn't do this show without him or do anything that we do at Rocket Sports Media because he's not only our founder, but also our editor-in-chief. And he is the one and only Rick Stevens. And um, I'm going to guess that it's a pretty good day. Certainly a great day to be a Montreal <laughs> Canadiens fan. I think so. Mm-hmm. Who would have thunk it? Not many people did. No. Myself included. <laughs> well, the, the entire staff of uh, Sportsnet had uh, predicted right. <laughs> some variation of uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs over Montreal Canadiens. That's right. So uh, I have a feeling that's going to come up on the agenda today. Uh, we actually have a great show in store for you today. Um, and I'm going to tell you all about that in just a second. But uh, as the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs is, is already underway, actually, and for Habs fans, it's about to get underway. Uh, The second round is also in full swing for the NBA, and the action is increasing from game to game. Uh, This is where the contenders are really separated from the pretenders. And to give you some skin in the game, DraftKings will be offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering uh, players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes, That's up to $10,000 in total prizes up for grabs each day. And the best part is that it's free to play. Uh, DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. You just download the DraftKings app. You go to the pools section and you choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. So here's what you have to do. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and then... 
track your results during the evening while you watch the games. Now, questions are going to range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. And that's promo code THPN for the Hockey the- Pod. Yep, go ahead. Go ahead, say it. No, you do it. In unison. The, the Hockey, Hockey Podcast, Podcast Network. Network. <laughs> we should have like a little like jingle, like uh-huh. those old school. Yeah. Okay, moving Choir. on. Choir. <laughs> um... Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a fun show today. The first thing we're going to do in our first segment, um, uh, just a small bit of Montreal Canadiens news. It's really a trifling little thing, but um, we're going to talk about the fact that they did complete the comeback and they did win the first series and they are advancing to the second round of the playoffs. Yeah, so that did happen. It wasn't a dream. Uh, we're going to talk about that, give uh, give our reaction and analysis to how that happened and what's in store for them as they head to Winnipeg uh, for uh, the kickoff of the next series on Wednesday night. Uh, Laval has also been busy with some offseason signings. We've got three Laval Rocket players with new contracts uh, for next season, so we'll give you uh, the lowdown on that. And we promised you last week, we mentioned uh, the AHL All-Rookie team had been announced. Well, since last week's show, the AHL All-Star teams for each division has also been announced. And uh, there's some Laval Rocket players that we need to uh, tip the hat to uh, who are part of those All-Star teams. And then, oh, is this exciting. In our second segment, we have a returning special guest, great guy. We always enjoy having him on the show. Patrick Williams, uh, the AHL correspondent for NHL.com and and over at EP Rinkside. He's going to join us for a really in-depth look at the AHL's season now that uh, the Pacific Division winner and their short postseason has has been determined. Uh, So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what's coming up for next year, franchises moving around uh, North America. We're going to talk about about the coaching situation in the AHL. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the Winnipeg Jets, actually, as well. Lots of things. It's an interview you're not going to want to miss, exclusive here on the Press Zone, and it's a, it's a great conversation with Patrick coming up in the second segment. But first, the Montreal Canadiens. They did it. I said at the beginning of the of this series, there's no way. It's not happening. Uh, the the run they had at the end of the season was abysmal. They didn't look strong defensively. They looked completely in shambles. Um, Carey Price didn't even play the last couple of weeks of the season uh, as he was coming back from, from his concussion. Um, and, okay, they won the first game of the series, but then they, they just, they looked, they looked terrible after that. Um, they managed to, to scrape together a win, Rick. Um, I still and and yes, you can you can tarn feather me all you want. The Canadians had no business winning this series. They really didn't. Um, Toronto had Toronto didn't capitalize on their chances. And were it not for Carey Price, 
we wouldn't be having this conversation today, that's for sure. Carey Price uh, carried this team on his back, uh, allowing for the opportunities by some of the younger stars that came through with those game-winning goals, Rick. Um, but Carey Price really got it done. I mean, for fans and for those who who picked uh, the Canadians in this series, congratulations. But yeah. But being honest, uh, as you said, the Canadians had absolutely no business um, winning this series, and and that that's just a credit to what a massive accomplishment. Um, uh, For it, sure, it, this was a massive upset. Yes, it was. Um, certainly, you know, when you think of of uh, upsets in the in the last decade. Um, it's it, a big it, one. <laughs> it, it, it's hard to to compete with um, Columbus and ousting the the uh, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, but this is a pretty close second, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, the whether it was you were looking at um, the the analysts, whether you're looking at um, the analytic models, whether you're looking at Vegas. Uh, odds, um, just they, fans they, in general. They were all heavily, heavily in favor of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and mm-hmm. and uh, they should have been because the Leafs had a great season. They finished sixth in the in the NHL standings. Uh, the Canadians um, they stumbled uh, into the playoffs. They finished 18th. How did an 18th place team in the NHL get into the playoffs when the cutoff is 16? Well, that just happens to be the way it worked in the pandemic divisional system of that they came up with. But mm-hmm. uh, in a in a typical year, the Canadians shouldn't have even made the playoffs. Lost their last five, as you said. Carey Price wasn't playing. Jake Allen uh, obviously couldn't handle the the uh, load of being a number one. Uh, and he wasn't playing well, and um, it, it was, yeah, it was um, the, a, a David and Goliath situation, um, and it, it was, uh, th- there was only one reason, um, it was Carey Price. Carey Price was, was th- every single game, uh, he not only gave his team a chance to win, but but um, held on and held on and held on until um, you know uh, his uh, his team could could squeak a goal past uh, uh, the opposition, and that's kind of what it what what happened. Um, this was Carey Price not stealing a game in the series, but Carey Price stealing four games and stealing the series for the Montreal Canadiens, without a doubt. Um, and yes, you can be excited and and be happy for. Uh, the moments of of the contributions from uh, Yasperi Kakinyemi, um, a couple of really big goals for him in in this series. Once he drew into the lineup, um, the the chemistry already forming between Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. Once he was able to draw into the lineup, um, you know you can talk about you know Ar- Armia had some had some moments. Um, Tyler Toffoli, you know, the, finally towards the end of the series, the power play and Tyler Toffoli got off the Schneid, and and we're starting to see a resurgence there. Two two one person and one team system that were struggling through throughout the beginning of the series. So there are are certainly other contributing factors to the to the win. But if it were not for the performance of Carey Price each and every night, and I will say even on the nights of the three losses, Carey Price, mm-hmm. they weren't blowouts. 
Carey Price kept them in each of those games that had they had the offensive power, they still could have won those games on the nights that they lost. So Carey Price is is what handed them the ability to make the plays to win. Um, credit to, to the entire team for doing what no one thought was going to be able to be done. Um, certainly all of Toronto is waking up today like, like it was a bad dream. Um, as you say, Rick, I completely agree with you. Just one of the biggest upsets in recent sports history. Um, there was, there was no way the Canadians were, were winning this series. Um, but they've done it. (laughs) They, they have. And, and as you said, it was, it was maybe not the players that, uh, that had carried the team, uh, during the year. Um, you know, Tyler Toffoli, a a goal and then an empty netter in in the final game, the the Canadians need a whole lot more from Tyler Toffoli Mm -hmm. in round two. Uh, he didn't have a very good round one. Josh Anderson, completely invisible, um, in both uh, the production, the offensive production, and and the physical play, that only came in in fits and starts. So they need more from Josh Anderson. Uh, Brendan Gallagher scored a big goal in Game Seven, uh, a, a weak goal uh, given up by Jack Campbell. Brendan Gallagher was uh, terrible throughout Round One. He's got to be a whole lot better in Round Two. Jeff Petrie, the same, not getting any offense from him, a guy who really contributed uh, during the regular season. Ben Sherrod had uh, a tough time. Um, so it was the, it was, as you mentioned, Armia and Kakinyemi and Suzuki, Stahl and Perry, um, yes. Weber and Edmondson, uh, Weber particularly the, uh, in game six, the 38 minutes, 37, mm-hmm. 38 minutes, um, uh, it it um, the, the Canadians are going to this this is going to be a different series now against the Jets and and um, they can't just uh, the Canadians can't just leave it to Carey Price to carry them through another series. Well, not just Carey Price, but but Phil Deneau. Because Phil, yeah. Phil Deneau really was the yeah. I don't even know if I want to go there. Well, listen. <laughs> um, uh, Phil Deneau um, is is in a contract uh, position, so Phil Deneau is going to uh, say anything to to make himself look good. Uh, Phil Deneau had a terrible season by anyone's estimation. A terrible season. Um, he he was for the most part on the first line. His offensive numbers were horrible. His defensive numbers were horrible. His defensive faceoff numbers were horrible. His penalty killing was horrible. Um, and in the um, uh, playoffs, um, you know, when they're over, yeah, I, I guess, you know, we, 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 we leave it to the Montreal media to kind of drum up these, these narratives. And then the narrative, they certainly don't want to give Carey Price any credit because they were the ones who was saying that Carey Price was washed up and that, uh, you know, many of them were saying that, that Jake Allen should have started the playoffs as ridiculous as that sounds. Mm -hmm. Uh, so don't, they don't want to be wrong about that. And the other part of it is that they had made so much noise on the occasion of the Canadians, not having any, uh, Quebecois in the lineup on, on, uh, during the season. And, uh, they had figured out that, none of the fans really cared. So they were upset about not having the players in and they were upset, the media that is, about not having a, a, a bigger reaction. 
so with Jonathan Drouin, uh, his future uncertain, uh, they're, they're wanting to, um, to, to, to promote Phil Deneau because they know he's done nothing in the season to, um, uh, to earn a contract, uh, being a, a UFA, um, during that, during the playoffs, um, you know, yes, um, Mitch Marner and and uh, Austin Matthews uh, w- didn't have the goal production that mm-hmm. they had during this season, and many are trying to give credit to uh, Phil Deneau. That's simply misplaced. It has to go to Carey Price because uh, if you look at uh, the the shot attempts, if you look at shots, if you look at uh, scoring chances, if you look at high danger scoring chances. Uh, that line of of Marner, uh, Matthews, and uh, and Hyman uh, had an enormous number of of chances, including high danger chances. It wasn't Phil Deneau uh, preventing scoring chances or shots or high danger scoring chances. It was Carey Price. Um, Phil Deneau had had little to do with it. And I understand, you know, uh, some of his teammates were asked about his performance. Last night, and some of his teammates... But that's just natural. Exactly. And some, you know, his teammates had some really glowing remarks about Phil Deneau's play uh, and who he is as a person, who is who he is as a teammate. And I would expect nothing less from a, a tight locker room of guys who respect each other. And, no, you know, you're coming off a win, of course. But that is not the, the genesis of creating uh, Phil Deneau as being the savior uh, of your series. Um, it's just, it's, it's a real reach. Um, Jake Evans took on more of a role. Jake Evans was excellent in, in, uh, his assignment with, uh, Mitch Marner. Uh, and, and Jake Evans, uh, missed the, the first part of the, the, uh, if, 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 if you want to just break it down like that, 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 uh, the Canadians were, uh, 0-3 when Jake Evans was not in the lineup, or 4-0 when he was in the lineup. I'm I'm not I'm not saying it's a result <laughs> of Jake Evans, but Jake Evans played extremely well, yes, especially did. defensively. Yes, he did. Um, and uh, and I think had more of an impact on that line than did Phil Deneau. I will say to longtime listeners who have been with us for years, um, know very well that three years ago. Uh, Rick and I were hard on the Jake Evans train. You've got to give this kid a bigger chance. This kid has a NHL potential. This kid has a lot of upside. This kid is a strong, physical uh, centerman. He's going places, and we were laughed at on Twitter constantly. Like, are you kidding us? This kid can barely play in the AHL. Uh, so to all of those people, I say, mm, where are you now? Where are you now? It's probably the same kinds of people who say that Lucas, that not many people ever thought Lucas Vedemo had any NHL potential, and we all know what a farce that is. Um, very proud of Jake Evans' uh, performance. Very um, proud of how Kakanyemi um, has has come back strongly into into the series once after after he sat out. Um, and what is. Looking back, what a silly decision that was! Absolutely, it, it was it was uh, um, a move made with without much experience there. That's um, right. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, um, and and don't you dare ever bench Kakanyemi again. I mean, that's just it. It would just be ridiculous to do so. Um, 
I still agreed with not having Cole Caulfield start the series, um, but he has a he he has fit right in uh, now that he has drawn in. Um, you know, there are still things in his game that he's going to need to work on, but the chemistry that he's generating with guys like Nick Suzuki, uh, is something pretty special to watch. Um, and, and let's even his offense, um, the, the, the playoffs are a whole different kettle of fish. And, and we saw that even in five games that, um, that Cole Caulfield, um, wasn't the same, wasn't, didn't have the same impact as Mm-mm. he had in the regular season. He had one assist. He had one really, really, really important assist, uh, <laughs> but his, his offense was, was one assist. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it, it's the power play is still sure. They've gotten a couple of power plays here in the last two games, but, um, power play goals but uh, you know it's not like Caulfield drew into the lineup went on the power play and suddenly they were fine in the back of the net that didn't happen either so um you know again tempering expectations with this young man now before we look at what's ahead the one thing I will say um well, no I'm actually gonna wait till after we do this first let's let's lay down the Rick and Amy press zone round two predictions all right I'm going Jets in six. Um, it's reasonable. They're facing, I think they'll win a couple of games, but Connor Hellebuck is a completely different beast than Jack Campbell, and they offensively had struggles against Jack Campbell. I think they're going to really struggle against Connor Hellebuck. The Jets have a much more offensive arsenal up front. Um, now, granted, I mean... Marner and Matthews were supposed to do that as well, but the Jets are a differently built team, and part of that is is my third reason, which is that they're going to play a much bigger and more physical game than Toronto did. I think they are going to wear down this Canadiens team, particularly uh, since the Jets have had a week to rest and a whole week to scout the Canadiens watching this series very closely. That's a reasonable pr- prediction. Okay. I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> I don't. I have no idea. Look, look at what happened I in know. the first round. I know. Um, you know, the Canadians, if if Carey Price continues, at, I, I don't, I think that's a really tall order. It is. Um, but the, the and and there was a lot of passengers in round one, but the, the, Flip side of that is that if those passengers become contributors, if if Phil Deneau, uh plays as well as as he says he has played, um, he can have an effect. Brandon Gallagher, mm-hmm. Josh Anderson, if he does anything, uh, mm-hmm. it's going to be better than round one. Uh, Petrie, if he can contribute some offense, mm-hmm. uh, and Toffoli, if that uh, you know empty netter. Uh, at the end of the series, if that'll get him going, uh, that's going to be wonderful. Um, the Canadians, I worry about the defense. Uh, the 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 third pairing has been sh- uh, very sheltered, um, and that's put a huge toll on the top four. And uh, it's it's going to only get tougher against uh, more physical forwards uh, that the that the Jets have. Um, as you said, Connor Hellebuck. Uh, Jack Campbell is is a good goaltender, um, maybe a little bit mental fra- mentally fragile. Uh, Connor Hellebuck isn't that at all, um, and uh, Connor Hellebuck is as 
as likely as Carey Price to steal a game. Um, he can do that all by himself, and he did that against uh, the Oilers. Um, but it's, 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 yeah, it, Pierre-Luc Dubois, he hasn't really, um, contributed much, but is he going to have more motivation now that he's going against the Canadians? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, uh, you know, the, the coaching matchup, uh, is hands down, um, uh, slam dunk for, uh, <laughs> for Paul Maurice, yeah. one of the best coach, better coaches in, in the National Hockey League. And, uh, um, Dominic Ducharme still finding his way. So it, it's there. There's lots of things that are going to happen. There's there's going to be fatigue. There's going to be an injury or two. There's going to be uh, substitutions, and and um, we'll we'll see what happens. But I honest honestly, I I really have a trouble predicting this one. I can understand that. I'm going to say two critical things just because it's my job to sometimes be critical. Uh, Dominic Ducharme needs to to stop dancing around it and insert Romanoff into the first game of the series. Um, you, you sat him out for the entire first series. You've got to get him into at least a game and let him, he can't be any worse than Eric Gustafson. I'm sorry, but he can't be. Um, and as you astutely made the point the other night in our, in our team chat conversation, Rick, um, you know, if Eric Gustafson's going to play seven minutes or whatever it is, or, or four minutes even strength time. In, yeah, in, in the game six, it was four minutes and 30 seconds even strength. And that you, was it. And you posed the question, would you trust Romanoff with that same amount of time? Why not? Yeah, the difficulty now is is going to be that you've uh, shown that you don't have confidence in him mm-hmm. for an, an entire series. Um, and and how's that going to play on his psyche and and his um, confidence level to go in and um, and is he going to um, then try to do something to prove that he belongs and in doing so make a risky play and that's that's the that's the issue of of uh, playing with uh, the confidence of a, a player who was in four, 54 of, of 56 games. Um, and then sat for seven. Yeah. My other point will be, um, from an analytical standpoint, be careful what you wish for. By winning this first series, and I take nothing away from the from the team on the ice for winning the series, but by winning the series, we are potentially one step closer to Dominic Ducharme returning as the permanent head coach of the Montreal Canadiens in the fall. Uh, in my opinion, that would be detrimental to the organization. Um, it's it's funny how uh, up until about three or four days ago, it was a consistent theme on social media from media, from fans, questioning his poor decision-making with the roster, questioning his decision-making with the lineups, uh, pointing out his, his um, struggles in communicating with the media, much less with, with players. Um, and it's funny how a couple of wins, all of that goes away suddenly. Let's not forget that those struggles are still there for Dominic Ducharme. Um, and I know we are a long way off from next season and finding out who that permanent head coach is going to be. Um, but every win now that the Canadians get after this massive comeback, um, Dominic Ducharme is helping to make the case that it should remain him. So I know, I know, 
I say this in our team chat all the time. I don't mean to be Debbie Downer. I'm just trying to keep that analyst, analytical realism of what's what's ahead. What's ahead? <laughs> um, but it's going to be fun to watch. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fun to watch. Um, be sure you're following at All Habs on Twitter. Uh, Rick will... That's Rick's account. He will keep you well apprised. Um, Be sure you're subscribed to our All Habs YouTube channel, uh, which is youtube.com slash All Habs. My colleague, Ben Dankyu, he and I worked together to do uh, his his fan reaction videos. He did a bonus episode of it uh, on on Monday, just prior to Game 7, a little Game 7 hype-up video. Uh, He'll, that, uh, that, video series typically comes out every Thursday. So he will have one this Thursday with his reaction to the first game against the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure you're following along with all of that and tune into Rick and Joseph's Canadians connection podcast right here on rocket sports radio Uh, on Saturday. They'll they'll be breaking down the entire, the entire week uh, as the series gets underway. And we'll have two games, uh, game one and game two of the Canadians jets series to talk about on Saturday. Ooh, that's very, very fun. Very, very fun. Um, Quickly, before we head off to commercial break, there's a couple of news bits that we want to take care of. Laval has been busy, uh, even though their season is over. Uh, three AHL contracts signed in the last week. Uh, Toby Paquette-Bisson will be back with the club. He has uh, signed a an AHL contract with the club, uh, as has Terrence Amorosa. You'll remember he was on uh, a PTO with the team Um only got in for a couple of games at the end of the season, but he has signed uh, a two-way AHL contract uh, as well. And as has Cedric DeRoyceau uh, has signed an AHL contract with the Laval Rockets. So uh, they're busy gathering their roster together. Expect to see probably more signings than is even usual uh, for the Laval Rocket this offseason. Um, they are going to probably sign a, a hefty amount of AHL two-way contracts because they now have an ECHL affiliate to fill up as well. So uh, they'll be looking for players uh, to also spend time in trois Rivier uh, that they can tap when they need call-ups as well. Um, finally, as we mentioned, the all-star teams for each division of the American Hockey League for this past season were announced uh, late last week. Um, and so each division has its own set of all-stars. Uh, and in the North Division, uh, excuse me, in the Canadian Division, um, we we see some familiar names. Callie Kosala from the, the Toronto Marlies, Nathan Todd from the Manitoba Moose, uh, Connor Mackey is in there as well. Um Igor Sokolov from from the uh, Belleville Senators, but there are two Laval Rocket uh, All Star teams, uh, All Star players for the Canadian Division, and that is Caden Primo and Otto Leskinen. Um, Caden Primo is certainly uh, deserving of you know he he did a he did a pretty decent job uh, this this season. Um, Struggled a bit after he went up and spent some time on the taxi squad and and backing up Jake Allen and kind of got out of rhythm and um, didn't fare quite so well in his NHL starts and so had a little trouble when he came back down to the AHL. But 
for the most part, prior to that, did a pretty decent job. But I think even who I'm more happy for to get this this honor, Rick, is Otto Leskinen. Um, kind of... Uh, um, Kind of overlooked sometimes uh, within the organization, but just a really steady, steadfast uh, defenseman who who does a very good job at w- at what he goes out there to do. Great season, um, solid defenseman, uh, someone that that uh, Joel Shard relied on. Uh, he had uh, 17 points in 33 games in Laval, plus 15. Uh, six power play points, and and um, yeah, a, a very very good season for Otto Leskinen. Congratulations to those two. Um, they're Rocket were the only team in the Canadian division uh, to have two players uh, named to the divisional all-star team. So congratulations to them. Uh, we are going to take a quick break. As promised, on the other side, an exclusive interview with Patrick Williams, breaking down everything from how the season ended uh, in the quote-unquote playoffs for the Pacific Division to what's in store for Binghamton uh, now that the Devils are moving out of that city uh, to what the future looks like for the AHL next season and 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 how things are going to shape up. It's a great interview. You're not going to want to miss it, so don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. The Press Zone is proud to be a partner of Rocket Sports Media, digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites. Their mission is to build a worldwide network of sports fans who are informed, engaged, entertained, and connected. Learn more about RSM, its team, and its portfolio of brands at rocketsportsmedia.com. Be sure to follow us on social media. Find us on Twitter at The AHL Report. Check out our original game photography on Instagram at AHL Report and watch our exclusive video interviews with players, coaches, and other notable hockey names on our YouTube channel at All Habs. Just remember to turn on notifications so that you never miss a video. The AHL Report, your premier source for Laval Rocket, Lehigh Valley Phantoms, and all American Hockey League news. Rocket Sports Media is currently recruiting talented, motivated, and committed people to join our team. If you're a student wishing to gain experience, a young professional interested in broadening your credentials, an experienced hockey mind looking for a platform to share your expertise, or a passionate fan looking to contribute to our publications by connecting with fellow hockey fans, we want to hear from you. If you are bright, loyal, passionate, and willing to dedicate yourself to a remarkable team, visit AHLReport.com and click the Join Our Team tab at the top of the page today. And welcome back to the Press Zone right here on the AHL Report and Rocket Sports Media. Once again, I'm your host, Amy Johnson, joined by my tremendous co-host, Rick Stevens. Uh, And let me give you a reminder of where to find us on Twitter, because you really want to be following along with us on Twitter. Uh, You can find me at Flyers Rule on Twitter. You can find Rick at All Habs. Uh, And you can find the AHL Report at... The AHL Report, uh, and also this podcast at the Press Zone. So uh, lots of places, uh, but 
If you want one central place to go, go to at the AHL report. That's the first and foremost one that you want to be sure you're following. Um, And so we've got a tremendous interview in store for you in, uh, in this segment. And without further ado, I think we should get right to it. Well, it's a new month, and here at the Press Zone, there's no better way to uh, kick off the summer season and the off-season for the AHL than by bringing back one of our favorite guests, our friend and colleague Patrick Williams, uh, AHL correspondent for the NHL.com and also for EP Rinkside. Patrick, thanks so much for joining us today, and, and how are you, sir? Good. Nice to be back. Thank you. It's... Uh, we can officially say that we are in the off season for the AHL, the Pacific Division, uh, the only ones uh, participating in a post, choosing to participate in a postseason this year, just wrapped up. It looks like uh, the Bakersfield Condors come out on top. Um, can you just give us a, a just a little overview of of how that postseason, very short little postseason divisional playoff, uh, went for the Pacific Division? Yeah, it was interesting because. Like at times you almost forgot this was kind of a quasi postseason and it was only for a division title. And I think part of that too was um, these were not two teams that were, you know, kind of hanging around 500. I mean, Henderson was a top team all season in Bakersfield. They started 0-5, but after that, I mean, they played over 700 hockey the whole whole way down the stretch. And um, they benefited, for example, by not having – very much player movement at all because of the border issues and, and, and everything that went with that. So they were in a strange way, Bakersfield was probably more intact this season than they would be in a normal season. And that was stark contrast to everybody else whose rosters completely turned over, you know, in some cases two or three times over the course of the three and a half month season. I mean, you, you saw Laval, for example, they started off with, what 35 players and by the end i mean it was you know it was next man up mentality so um it was it was a good it was a pretty good playoff all things considered i mean bakersfield and san diego was a fun series uh lucas dostos i mean absolutely fantastic in that for san diego he almost pulled that series out for them and then um the three games against uh henderson uh for bakersfield were really impressive i mean I knew Bakersfield was good. I, I don't think I knew that they were that good, that they went in there and just really, you know, certainly in the first game handled Henderson really well. Uh, the second game got a little bit uh, messy for them, but even the third game, I thought Henderson played better, but uh, Bakersfield was in control <clears throat> large portions of that game. And so it was a good mix of um, real top, top end veterans, Adam Cracknell, uh, Brad Malone, for example, you had Ryan Stanton, um, and then a, a nice mix of prospects, Cooper Marodi, Tyler Benson, Stuart Skinner, and Nett, uh, some nice young defensemen. Uh, so Bakersfield, real, really impressive job. But, uh, you know, I just sort of felt that, you know, I, I you got your three games in, but it, you kind of found yourself wanting a little bit more because it was that uh, competitive of a series. And um, you just – you sort of felt like it's the playoffs, but you, in the back of your head, you also knew it wasn't. Well, that's as a follow-up to that, I was going to ask you, you know, from, from speaking, whether it was with coaches or players out there, what was the general consensus about being the only division doing a postseason? Did, did, were they, 
you know, from the, you know, you see the pictures, you hear the quotes, they obviously uh, had fun when they were winning in the postseason, but mm-hmm. was it, was it meaningful hockey for them? Was there controversy about whether, whether they should be playing in the postseason? <clears throat> what, what was the general feel? Well, yeah, certainly there is all the, you know, the hubbub um, going into it. Um, it seems, at least in my eyes, and, and certainly speaking with players, um, that once they kind of got into the swing of things, um, that at least seemed for the most part to go by the wayside. And uh, they kind of got, I don't want to say sucked in, but they kind of got engulfed in the uh, in the moment. And um, where I think viewing it as an opportunity to play extra games in front of a lot of general managers, especially if you think about that Pacific division, uh, LA's GM and every, and their staff were off, uh, you know, after the NHL season, uh, Anaheim, San Jose, um, Edmonton, you know, even after their playoff uh, run ended. I mean, so you had a, had an opportunity in, to kind of showcase yourself. Um, and there's not many times in the course of the AHL season where you only have seven teams playing and then that quickly is whittled down. So kind of all eyes are on you. And, um, you you know, in a a season which you only maybe got 40 or so games, I mean, I think especially the younger players um, were viewing it mostly as an opportunity to really, you know, uh, showcase themselves and uh, get a little bit of extra exposure because uh, Seattle's coming in next season. uh, That's, 25 jobs or so, um, you know, plus uh, associated American League jobs, um, you know, and then plus with the way the cap is looking, with the way just the financial picture for a lot of teams is looking, it's probably a safe bet that there's, there's going to be a fair amount of turnover this summer. So certainly a, a good way if you're a young player, young prospect, and for that matter, an older player trying to get a contract this summer uh, to go in there and have a good playoff. And I think – once they got going, uh, that started, uh, you know, most of those issues or concerns uh, kind of dissipated. If we can talk about a couple of different uh, uh, players, well, players who are at different uh, stages of their careers, uh, and one for each team, let's start with the runners-up, the Henderson Silver Knights. And, and the guy I want to key in on here is Cody Glass. Cody Glass, certainly one of the top prospects uh, for Vegas, um, number six overall draft choice in in 2016, um, and had a, uh, he, he, he got up for a couple of games with Vegas, but had a very good season with uh, uh, with uh, the Henderson Silver Knights, and um, I, I uh, being a Winnipeg boy, um, you met, you tweeted that. Uh, um, Cody Glass hadn't seen his family for 18 months because of of the circumstances and the border and, and so on. So I wonder if you can first talk about Cody Glass and, and his season, how he played in the playoffs, and then and then his kind of personal circumstance. Yeah, uh, well, for Cody Glass coming in this season, he had been coming off knee surgery. So, I mean, that's, a, that's a certainly a situation for him at 22 years old. I think it was 21 at the time coming into the season. Um, where these are crucial years, your sixth overall pick. Uh, um, I don't want to say the clock is ticking on you, but you haven't established yourself yet, really, in the NHL. Uh, you're still kind of on that fringe. So, you, you know, you need a big summer, and then Vegas is certainly in a win-now uh, situation. So uh, eventually he found himself uh, sent down to Henderson, and um, 
the reviews uh, from head coach Manny Viveros uh, and and certainly the teammates and the coaching staff there and, and just everything I saw from him uh, came back pretty good. He had an opportunity to play in all situations, which I think was huge for him. I get a little bit of confidence back because I don't think that confidence level was up for him with the NHL club. I mean, it's just a difficult situation for a young player coming off an injury, you know, trying to find himself, trying to establish himself for that matter. Uh uh, to do so and uh you're you know you're not getting the minutes you need so i don't get the sense he was thrilled to be in the american hockey league it's not where he envisioned himself being at this point but i think to his credit he did handle the situation well and, and did what he had to do and has set himself up now well uh for next uh, falls training camp so uh i think depending on what happens with vegas during this postseason uh, we'll see i mean Frankly, I'd like to see him get a probably a full season in the in the AHL and just come in and dominate and and, and be a top player playing, you know, twenty five minutes a night. I don't know if that will actually happen. I think he'll be in the NHL sooner rather than later. But yeah, as far as the not being home uh, because of that uh, knee injury and that situation there, um, he's uh, been staying in Vegas. Uh, really, you know, going back to that last year when the pandemic started. And um, it's not easy for players. I mean, when I was speaking with Henderson, for example, at their breakup day on Monday, uh, a good number of them uh, are actually staying in Las Vegas this summer. So I was a little surprised. Uh, most of these guys typically would be going home. But um, Cody Glass's case, for example, he said, you know, well, like, you know, you'd come in and it's a two-week quarantine and, um, that's two weeks off the ice, two weeks, uh, you know, not being able to work out. Uh, I don't think he wants to waste any time. Uh, so uh, sort of, into, especially, you know, coming back to Manitoba where the, the case numbers are still really high and there's just a lot of, um, you know, strife right now with that situation. Uh, I think he's going to hang out in Vegas for a while and, and, and make use of the facilities there and the resources there. So, uh, it's a little, it's just one of those things where, um, he's, I don't think he's the only player in that boat. I mean, talking to some different players throughout the year and I mean, 18 months is probably on the higher end of things, but, uh, you know, if you were a player and, uh, you didn't get back home before the pandemic started and you had to stay, uh, on one side of the border or the other, um, I can see why it would get up to 18 months. And, um, I, I don't foresee, you know, and being able to go home anytime soon either. So, uh, so that's kind of where he's at right now. Well, that's fascinating because I think that's an aspect that um, that fans and listeners don't necessarily take into account uh, these these uh, complications uh, for some of these uh, players, especially the prospects. Um, on the Condors side, uh, I want to talk about Adam Cracknell. You mentioned him a few minutes ago uh, at the other end maybe of his career, 35-year-old, and certainly Canadians fans may be a little familiar with him. Um, he came over to Laval that first year, uh, the Rocket were in Laval, um, came over from Hart, uh, from um, the Wolfpack, and, um, and at the time I think that uh, uh, Canadians fans were kind of, gee, there's a bit of a, Peter Holland going the other way. There's a bit of a talent disparity, but uh, understood quickly that it was Larry Carrier and and uh, Sylvain Lefebvre who wanted Cracknell for his leadership abilities. And he certainly, um, you know, that's come into play this year uh, with the Condors and as well. He's had uh, quite an impact on the ice. Absolutely. Uh, top, top. 
um, high quality veteran at this level who can still play uh, 35 years old, but uh, you know, starting at this level is not uh, skipped a beat. Uh, had a really nice season would have been on pace for about 20 goals this year uh, was exceptionally effective in the, in the playoffs led to the AHL scoring. I mean, such as it was for the playoffs, um, but I uh, had a nice, nice bounce back year. You know, last year he played in the KHL. Um, he actually started this season in Denmark, uh, playing a little bit there. So he kind of got a head start in the competition. And um, I think he he gave both his teammates and, frankly, the opposition a real sense of what an NHL-type uh, player is. I mean, he played, what, over, I think, 200 games in the NHL. Uh, big, big veteran, excellent on face-offs. Um, you know, so he has that, that NHL pedigree to him. So I think, uh, both teams remarked just how good he was and, you know, and what, you know, the opportunity was both to play with and against him. Uh, so, uh, he was, I think he was, he was on, on a mission, I think this season to prove that he still had it. And I, he certainly did. Uh, and, um, he provided some really nice supplemental scoring him, Seth Griffith, Brad Malone, um, you know, kind of supplementing that, that, uh, younger core of Marodi and Benson. So, um, yeah, Adam Cracknell has not slowed down one bit, uh, you know, uh, not only from that season in Laval, but even, you know, if you go 10, 15 years back, even, um, that you know he i mean he goes back to omaha <laughs> like wow <laughs> you know that's how far back he goes in the ahl so uh he's he's uh kind of part of that uh lineage uh you know uh, for the calgary flames uh you know uh, long history of different uh ahl homes so uh yeah real good quality veteran uh, still still plays hard every night you know you still see that enthusiasm i think that's a great example for the young players that's in here here's a guy who was i think he was ninth round pick which doesn't even that's exist right. anymore yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who you know willed himself and worked himself into 200 something nhl games and certainly a long career you know on the nhl ahl bubble so um yeah it's a good it's a good glimpse i think for those young players both on bakersfield and really, frankly against playing against them uh, what it takes to not only reach the NHL, but stay there for a while. And selfishly, uh, on, on the media side, he he is a pure pleasure to work with from a yes. media standpoint. He's He was always very gracious with his time, very friendly, um, just, just a really good guy off the ice as well. Absolutely. Uh, we're speaking with Patrick Williams, our friend and colleague who is the AHL correspondent for the uh, NHL.com and also AHL contributor at EP Ringside. Uh, so, Patrick, uh, now that, uh, you know, we've we've kind of wrapped up that uh, AHL Pacific Division and the, and the season for 2020-2021 has come to an end, we start looking ahead to, to next year. Um, and of course, the big burning topic on everyone's tongues as far as the AHL is the shakeup with franchises that just drop like a bomb in the middle of this season, particularly with uh, New Jersey, Binghamton, um, you know, the, the Utica now going to Abbotsford. Um, it was one of the worst kept secrets, I think, uh, once mm -hmm. uh, once New Jersey kind of dropped the ball, uh, dropped the bomb on everyone. Um from your standpoint, first of all, where does that leave? I think the the big question is where does that leave Binghamton for next year? Um, you know, for Utica, it's a it's a return to where they were years ago as the Utica mm -hmm. Devils, uh, but now they'll be the 
Utica Comet still just as a devil affiliation. <laughs> um, so so where where does that leave Binghamton? Utica has to be excited about this and Abbotsford getting back in the AHL ring. Yeah, well, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, uh, starting with Binghamton, well, it leaves them in the federal league next season, which I don't think Ooh. is where they envision themselves as, as a hockey market. But uh, given the late na- nature of uh, the uh, move, I mean, they didn't have any great options. Uh, the ACHL, I think, is their best bet long term. But uh, the move happened so late that uh, the ACHL was already um, – well into its planning for next season. So that wasn't uh, possible. Uh, so for right now, I mean, they're just going to, I guess, hang out for a year and try to keep the lights on in Binghamton and keep the hockey momentum going until you, you know, I think if you're a fan there, hopefully can pivot to an ECHL setup. I think they would be a great fit there. I think especially if you could put, say, the New York Rangers in there. Um, that would go really well. Uh, I know I understand the concerns that some fans have there about going down a level, but I do think you could offset that with uh, getting a top affiliation there like the Rangers uh, coming in there and, and set up some good rivalries with Adirondack, Reading, mm-hmm. uh, Worcester, and so on, and um, try to make it work that way. Um, as far as Abbotsford, I mean, wow. I never thought Abbotsford would come back. <laughs> to the American Hockey League. I know that Vancouver has kicked around that idea for years, but, I mean, there's lots of ideas that get kicked around and never really ever materialize. And um, yeah, you, you started to see the writing on the wall when Utica and Vancouver didn't uh, announce a new agreement uh, after it expired at the end of uh, 2020 uh, that, you know, something might be in the works. Uh, but... Still, I mean, the fact that they're going to Abbotsford, it's a little bit off the beaten path for the rest of the American Hockey League. Uh, so that aspect was a little surprising. But from the Vancouver Canucks standpoint, I mean, it's a great uh, setup. I mean, it's it's what everyone else around the league for the most part has. I mean, I think they envision something similar to a Laval-Montreal setup or, you know, Marley's Leafs or so on and so forth. Uh, it's about an hour down the road from Vancouver, so it's uh, far enough away to kind of be its own little market, uh, but uh, still certainly close enough. If you, you need a player from Morning State, you can bring them up, no problem. Um, and it's a beautiful facility. They, they renovated it actually in the past year or so. It's it's only about 10 years old, but they uh, upgraded a few things, uh, new boards, I think new ice system. Um, I was there about 10 years ago when the Heat were there, and uh, it was a nice building then, so it's, it's certainly AHL caliber. Um, I think the biggest thing there will be getting a, a good team in there. I mean, Utica's teams for the last number of years have been okay. They've uh, they certainly not been, I don't think, anything uh, to write home about. But if you can get some prospects in there and they mix in uh, some good veterans, uh, I think it should be a pretty popular destination. Um, then I think you have a pretty good formula there. But I think time will tell um, how that whole experiment works. One one other follow-up for me regarding changes in franchises for next year. What, do we know why the why Bridgeport needed to become the Islanders? <laughs> why suddenly the Sound Tiger has been uh, shuffled off to extinction? Yeah, the Sound Tiger is no more. Um, uh, I think this is... 
Lamorello. Uh, this is kind of his playbook. If you look at his New Jersey time, um, Wall Devils, the uh, Albany Devils, um, you know, you go all the way back to Utica. Now, the, the River Rats were a notable exception to that. I, I guess the boo must have been off that day that I got approved. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Lou likes it a certain way. Uh, Lou, uh, as we all know, kind of he runs things uh, his way. Uh, and it's going to be interesting because that, that's, a, that's a unique market in general simply because, I mean, that's hardcore New York Rangers country, you know, southwestern Connecticut, you know, Fairfield County, uh, into Bridgeport, into New Haven. So um, it's – it's an interesting move. I guess I'll put it that way. I mean, I, I, I understand that they're trying to expand the New York Islanders footprint into that region because of the new building coming in. Uh, I think that's easier said than done though, mm-hmm. to try to change a generation of New York Rangers fans. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, um, I know that they, uh, they have Brent Rossi coming in. Well, he's actually been there, but uh, he's actually going to be able to really put his stamp on things now. But he came in uh, last season, ran into the pandemic, and then this season certainly was not a fan season. So uh, I know that Bridgeport's planning a big off-season marketing push, which, uh, quite frankly, they need. I, I think Brent Rossi could do a really good job there. He has a good business track record uh, working with some different entities, I think including the World Wrestling Entertainment. So uh, he, he knows how to generate some buzz uh i think for any of us who have been to that market over the years mm-hmm. uh you know that they they've had a, a difficult time generating buzz in that market um you know there's a lot of nights to go to bridgeport and it's, it's pretty empty so um nowhere to go but up uh, and it's but a I nice rig it's a beautiful rink uh it's um, right off the highway there i mean it's a lot to like but it's a tough battle. I mean, I think just you're in Rangers country there and uh, the idea of going to watch New York Islanders prospects can be a tough sell, but I think they're, they're trying to change things up. Um, I guess time will tell. Um, but, uh, they've apparently signed a new lease long-term to stay in Bridgeport. That was a question, you know, that it's been kicking around for a while. Well, would the Rangers, you know, move into Bridgeport and the Islanders would, uh, go somewhere on Long Island? Apparently not. Apparently it's going to be status quo. Uh, I don't think you would spend this uh, effort uh, to re- rebrand things only to you know, pull up states in a year or two. So um, it was, I, I guess we'll see. But, yeah, it was a little bit surprising that you, that you have a brand that's 20 years old that has some unique uh, local tie-ins, uh, you know, with the, the history of the, the circus Mm-hmm. And the sound and everything else, uh, they kind of go with a more generic uh, name. But what Lou wants, Lou gets. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's as simple as that, you know, when you really, you know, boil it down. So uh, a key component of AHL, AHL, NHL hockey are, are the fans. Um, they certainly are the fans, uh, and and we've been seeing fans return to the buildings. There's certainly um, an, an injection of, of emotion, but uh, also um, they're an in, injection of cash for some financially strapped uh, 
uh, franchises, particularly in the the AHL, and we've seen some of them go through some uh, tough times and and uh, you know cut staff and and uh, have a very lean sta- staff complement this past season. Um, what what's your um, kind of expectation about the, the the financial side of of the AHL franchises? Um, are we going to see a, a you know full attendance next season? Are we going to see franchises starting to add back uh, uh, staff to you know to market in certain ways? What 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 have you heard is is uh, the way the the AHL is is going to move in order to bring fans back? Well, um, we're I mean we already saw it in Henderson for example. I mean they um, they they had seven thousand plus the other night. Uh, for the final game. So I think um, they're full speed for next season. Uh, Texas is full speed. Uh, it looks like I won't be surprised that pretty much across the board, you know, for at least for the U S teams that it's a hundred percent capacity. I mean, I always kind of looked toward minor league baseball as a guide uh, with what they're doing on the business side of things. You know, they share a lot of the same markets, the same fan base in some cases, uh, many of the same business challenges and uh, most of them are going 100% capacity. Now, granted, it's an outdoor sport, so that's a little bit different, but uh, I noticed a major swing in optimism from teams in the last four to six weeks uh, that they can really make a go of it for next season at 100%. Uh, and so what that would mean would be this summer, if you ever wanted to work in the American Hockey League for a team, <laughs> this is a year to put your resume in because uh, there is a lot of openings uh, across the across the league, I mean, a lot of these teams really cut down almost to the bare minimum. I mean, mm-hmm. in some cases, one person literally just to kind of keep the lights on and pay the bills. Um, uh, so there are a lot of teams that may need to make some pretty substantial hires in the next uh, two to three months. There, you know, there's a lot of work to do for a lot of these teams. That I mean, a lot of them have started it, but. Um, you have to kind of reintroduce yourself to fans. I mean, uh, for the most part, in most of these markets, uh, you haven't had fans in your building for 14 months. That's a long time to kind of be a part and to it kind of follow the, the consciousness of your fans. Uh, so you have to do that. Um, you certainly need people just to handle all the logistical things, you know, people to, to run the accounting department, people to, you know, do the graphic design, all those things. I mean, I think we all know in the American Hockey League, there's there's uh, generally a pretty lean approach to front offices, and people wear tend to wear a lot of different hats, and um, very few people have just one job or one task. I mean, uh, most people have to. If you even if you're a broadcaster, in some cases, in the summer you're selling uh, corporate ads or, or, or season tickets or what have you. So um, this is a uh, this is a busy year. Now, I think that the biggest challenge, and nobody seems to have an answer for this, is, is what happens with the border, what happens with mm-hmm. the Canadian clubs. I guess I'm a little bit more optimistic now, having seen, you know, the Habs, for example, have 2,500 fans in the building. Even the Leafs have 550, granted, healthcare workers, but, you know, still, it's movement. Uh, you take what you can get. Apparently, the Winnipeg Jets, according to the Winnipeg Free Press, have a plan to kind of do something similar to the uh, what the Leafs did, you know, at least uh, dip a toe in the water with 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 fans. So um, the bottom line is, I mean, if it's at all possible from a health standpoint, I mean, 
these teams desperately need to have uh, full capacity next season because, um, for the most part, they've gone an entire season plus without any sort of meaning, meaningful revenue. Um, and, you know, you can only get so much help from your NHL club. You can only um, rely on, you know, some, you know, make good deals or what have you to get you through this season. But uh, next season, I think it's everybody needs a big year financially. And that, that starts with having fans. So, I mean, I think that's where just teams are really crossing their fingers and hoping that the pandemic numbers uh, continue continue to come down, certainly in the U.S. I mean, if you're following those numbers, it went from like, you know, 275 um, in January now to like somewhere around 20,000 a day. So that's obviously a big drop. And, you know, you're, you're, you're hopeful that the same thing will apply for the Canadian uh, numbers as well. Uh, but... Until it happens, I think there's still that little bit of trepidation. We've talked about uh, some of the players. We've talked about the fans. The other big component are the coaches. Um, and I guess first, let's uh, just want to get your thoughts on uh, this year's AHL Coach of the Year uh, winner, Spencer Carberry, the bench boss for the Hershey Bears, uh, who topped out the league uh, in terms of winning percentage this year. Uh, your thoughts on Spencer Carberry and, and, and his his performance as a coach and, and what he was able to do uh, this year and kind of piggybacking then on that, um, you know, your thoughts on some of the coaching vacancies that are already in place around the league. Yeah. So starting with Carberry, I mean, he's, you know, you look at what he's been able to do here. He's been there three seasons, although there's only really been half of the past two seasons. Um, And then you look at that first season where they were in last place at, at the all-star break or so I think it was right around January 20th of that first season. Mm-hmm. They were in last place. They went on a 789 uh, tear the rest of the way, uh, blew past a number of teams, got in the playoffs, ended up going to the second round only uh, to uh, get knocked out by the Charlotte. And that season, pretty much nobody was beating Charlotte anyway. So, uh, and then last season they were, they were contending for first place in the Eastern conference and then this season, they, they won the entire uh, regular season title, such as it was. Uh, so it's been kind of really for the last, uh, other than that first half of his first season, nothing but winning. I mean, playing 700-plus hockey the whole way. Uh, so uh, he's a bright young coach, but he, he has enough that that old-school edge, I think, that um, you know, I think it mixes really well. I mean, he's, he's certainly not a pushover. As a coach, uh, he, he wants things done a certain way. He's very good at explaining what he wants and, and what he does. Uh, very much of an open door policy, which I, you know, certainly the, the the trend these days for coaches. I won't be surprised in a couple of years uh, to see him get an NHL opportunity somewhere, either as a head or an assistant. But um, the Capitals certainly see uh, a lot of promise in him. They, they wrapped him up in a multi-year deal. Uh, so they're going to try to keep him around as long as they can. Uh, but uh, that, that that window might be shorter than they'd like uh, because he's, I think, raised or opened a lot of eyes with what he's done just in the past couple of years. They're both blending winning and development. And Hershey's a tough market for coach, I mean, because it's, it's the closest thing you get to high pressure in this league uh, to win. Uh, and yet you still have to kind of answer for, you know, player development to the Washington Capitals. So, you know, he's always trying to walk that line uh, and has done an ex- excellent job so far. You know, as far as uh, openings around the league, 
Well, I mean, I think the most notable one is uh, Scott Gordon in Lehigh, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which I think took everybody a little bit by surprise. For sure. Perhaps yeah. even Scott himself, um, you know, just based on everything that seemed to come out of that situation that uh, um, he had another year in his contract, but uh, they apparently, at least according to the reports, and, and certainly from what I've heard um, and been told that uh, they decided to kind of part ways early. Um it's a little surprising. Uh, I thought he did a really good job there. Um, he got passed over, obviously, for the permanent head coaching job in, in Philly. Uh, went back to Lehigh, which, let's be honest, I think that was a tough, tough blow for him, and certainly, uh, you know, disappointment. I mean, I think it's only human that he would be disappointed. Um, but he came back. He still did a good job and uh, did what he was supposed to do. So. Um, I think it's a classic case of uh, he's not their guy. Uh, he was hired by a previous regime, and mm-hmm. that seems to be what, in the end, for a lot of coaches, uh, kind of spells the end uh, for them in a, in a given job. Uh, so um, he'll, he's on the market now. I just I don't know where, where he goes next. You know, do, do you want to take another American League job? I guess. Um, but if not, um, he's already kind of been down that NHL assistant uh, path, those jobs aren't easy to find to start with. Uh, so he's in kind of a, kind of a tricky spot right now that uh, I don't really know where he goes next. So for, from your standpoint, I'm going to put you on the spot here for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> it's like pop quiz time from your standpoint. It's the very beginning of the AHL off season. What do you see as the top one or two priorities on uh, Housen's to-do list for the league for this summer. What are what are the one or two biggest priorities that the AHL has to address right away in the offseason, Do you think? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I think, and this is interesting because Housen's not really even had a chance. He's been in the job for almost a year, but really hasn't a chance actually doing do the thing. job. Yeah, like it's just going to be kind of like you know trying to manage the fire. I guess is probably the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. So I guess the first thing is to have an exit plan for this pandemic. Uh, how do you get teams back, you know, as much as possible, you know, assuming capacity does go to what they hope it will. How, how do you get fans back in the building? Uh, you know, I mean, we, we've seen, obviously, you know, there's a lot of economic um, upheaval, financial upheaval for a lot of people coming out of this uh, and, and a good portion of your fan base probably would fall into that group. Um, how much money is there, you know, for, for hockey tickets? And if, if you, you know, if you've been through this and, you know, you've taken a hit financially for the past year, you know, maybe there's, you know, you have to make cuts somewhere. If you're, if you're a family of four, for example, uh, how do you get that, that group back into the building? How, I think the bigger part of that too is how do you get the next generation of fans? I mean, you know, if, if, you know, if the AHL was a team or if its fan base was a team, you would say it's um, a team that doesn't have a lot of youth coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just noticed that a lot of, in a lot of buildings that uh, you don't get a lot of the, um, younger fans, uh, you know, and I don't quite know why, but I think that's the AHL's job, Scott Helson's job to figure out why, because like any anything else, you need to kind of replenish your fan base uh, and, and build – uh, the next generation of fans coming up. Uh, and 
Uh, so that would be kind of like the 1A and 1B of the first part of the job. I think the second part of the job is uh, kind of franchise-related, uh, where, A, you want to figure out once and for all what's going on in Palm Springs. Now, they're supposed to break ground this week. I'll believe it, actually, when they put shovels in the ground. And yeah. <laughs> not just not just put a shovel in the ground for a ceremony, but, like, actually start moving earth. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably the distinction I'm making because uh, they obviously had the plan last season in downtown Palm Springs that fell through. They were supposed to break ground February 18th of 2020. Well, that never happened. So here we are in, in June of 2021. Obviously, there's a lot in between that time. But um, if they're trying to open up in the 22-23 season, that only leaves – 16 to 17 months, give or take, um, to get that building constructed up and uh, ready to go. So um, that's a big, big part of that. And I think uh, the corollary to that is finding, making sure that you have all of your 31 existing franchises in, in very good working order mm-hmm. uh, and, and getting on top of problems early. If you see, a team struggling this summer, you know, with ticket sales or corporate sales or what have you, or even into the season, you got to get on that, that right now. I mean, I think Dave Andrews did a fantastic job for 26 years of solidifying the hockey end of things, getting affiliations in place, uh, certainly solidifying the AHLs, the premier development league, um, making it very development friendly. Scott Halson's job, both for this year and beyond is to now expand the business side of things and get the league on uh, even better financial footing uh, than it was. I mean, because I can tell you Dave Andrews, the hockey side of his job, I mean, that took up everything. Um, there was frankly not a lot of time left in the day for him to even start to tackle some of the business issues. Cause I mean, what he inherited in 1994 and what he left in 2020 when he le- uh, departed the job, it's night and day. I mean, and I, I really think I've said this before. Without him, I'm not sure the American Hockey League exists as it is today. I think there's a very good chance it could have been something very different or maybe even gotten um, overtaken by the IHL back in the 90s or 2000s. So uh, Andrews took care of the, the hockey side. Halson's job now is to take care of the business side. We really appreciate your time, Patrick. And and I'll ask a long question so you can catch your breath here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I'm going to take us in a in a completely different direction, uh, Patrick. You and I have um, we each have a, a connection to Winnipeg, and mm-hmm. uh, sitting on my desk is a brass keychain, and it's uh, in the shape of a ticket. There's a an old Jets logo on it. There's a Los Angeles Kings uh, logo on it. And it was to commemorate the final game uh, for Jets 1.0 Friday, April 20, uh, Friday, April 12th, 1996. And that's when uh, the Jets were uh, from Jets uh, fans perspective, their team was snatched and, and grabbed and, and yanked away and, and hauled off to Arizona. And there's the, the dark cloud of, Barry Shankro and and the the, mm-hmm. the save the Jets rallies at Portage and Maine and 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 all of that and many in Winnipeg thought that that the Jets um, were never coming back again 
but the sun rose and and uh, the the Jets 2.0 just celebrated their 10 year anniversary uh, returning to 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 Winnipeg and it just happens to coincide with your 10 year anniversary uh, writing for NHL.com. So uh, can you talk about those, your own personal um, uh, evolution and your memories of that time and, and uh, where it's brought to you, brought you as, as a, a journalist today? Ooh, uh, it's a lot to, again, a lot to unpack <laughs> there. First I'll say about uh, 1996, Jets fans have extremely long memories. <laughs> or very, yes. Uh, even to this day, uh, 10 years having Jets 2.0 has not diminished some of the angst uh, that Jets fans experienced back in 1996. I mean, Correct. Yeah. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that that was a civic trauma. Uh, that's mm-hmm. uh, jolted the city, I think, to its core. I mean, and it played into a lot of things. Uh, you know, the city at the time going through a lot of financial stress, a lot of upheaval, people leaving, uh, you know, kind of, yeah, kind of your traditional city down in its luck story, uh, where that just compounded and kind of drove home all those other problems. Uh, it took the city a long time to dig out from that. Uh, certainly MTS center being built in 2004 was a massive step toward that. And I'll say for, for, for Winnipeg, what Winnipeg hockey fans did right was they came and they supported the Manitoba Moose right. early and often. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, from the IHL days into the AHL era, they even had to cheer for the the prospects of the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, <laughs> it was one of the most bitter rivals. I mean, I mean, actually, all the Smythe teams were pretty bitter, but <laughs> that that, uh, that was a tough that was a tough pill to swallow for a lot of Winnipeg fans. Uh, not only are we not in the NHL now, we're cheering for the prospects of one of our most heated rivals, you know, certainly, especially in the nineties, uh, Vancouver, Winnipeg got pretty nasty. And, uh, and yet they still came, they supported that team. Uh, they, they really kind of built a mini NHL franchise there and laid the groundwork. And that was difficult groundwork to lay because the NHL, I don't think had the inclination to go back to Winnipeg. I mean, that's certainly not where things were trending. Uh, and it was a long haul. It was 15 years, really, Mark Chipman and his group, uh, and then, but I think more importantly, the fan base. The fan base had to buy into that because look at Hartford, for example. Hartford left a year after the Jets left, uh, the Whalers. They lost the Whalers, and they've never gotten back on track. Um, they, they, at times, supported the Wolf Pack a little bit, but not nearly to the same extent. And, uh, they've never been able to kind of generate any momentum for any sort of possible NHL return. So I think full credit to Winnipeg hockey fans that uh, they didn't like it, but uh, they kind of gritted their teeth and and, and dealt with it and and went and supported the hockey and put some money into the coffers uh, to help that ownership group. And then you look at that day, and I still remember that day vividly, uh, up until literally 8.30 that morning, not being 100% sure that it was a real thing that was actually going to happen, that we weren't all going to end up downtown at NTS Center kind of just staring at each other, you know, <laughs> waiting for Gary Bettman to arrive, and he never did, but uh, he, he did arrive. Um, and that 
really started to kickstart a, a wild summer. Um, I remember that Friday night at their first draft, they announced the name. Uh, they hired uh, Claude Noel um, as head coach, uh, who actually had been with the Moose that season prior. Uh, and they drafted March Shifley in the first round, uh, mm-hmm. seventh overall. And, you know, you just think back, I mean, that's a lot to pack into one night. <laughs> you know, a new name, uh, a new head coach, and uh, your first ever uh, first-round pick, and uh, a player that to this day is still a huge part of the franchise. Yeah. Uh, so that was the first step. Uh, the next thing I remember really vividly was that kind of the welcome to the NHL moment was opening day. Um, you have the Montreal Canadiens show up. Uh, <laughs> and that was – that was the thing that drove it home. You're like, wow, okay, you're really in the NHL now as a city. You have Montreal Canadiens. They show up in your building. <laughs> you know that you've made it, right? Yeah. And that later that season was an overtime win against the Boston Bruins, who at the time were the defending uh, Stanley Cup champion. Uh, and they were just they, – I think they came to town like on a 15-game unbeaten streak. And the Jets, you know, who were not that great that first season or seasons after for that matter – uh, they managed to pull out a win that night, and uh, that, that was a huge night, I think, for Jets fans. Uh, okay, you know, like the Boston Brewers are a town. Boston actually has a pretty good fan base uh, in Winnipeg, uh, you know, mm-hmm. all things considered. Uh, and, you know, here come this Jets team that, you know, didn't have a lot of success early on, but uh, they, they managed to pull that win out. And, um, and then just kind of they never looked back from that point on. Uh that, that phenomenon of just the loudest building, uh, rabid fan base. I mean, these are, these were people out on a Monday night because that first couple, those first couple seasons, they were in that Southeast division. So you had a lot of uh, Florida and Carolina show, showing up on the schedule, certainly not natural rivalries. And it could be a Monday night against Florida, for example, when it's minus 20, 25 out. <laughs> that building, you know, 5.30 for a 7 o'clock face-off. I mean, the fans are lined up and uh, ready to go. And um, it's the only place I've ever seen before or since that you you could have a five-hour radio <laughs> pregame show for, you know, <laughs> games, you know, 52 on the on the schedule uh, for a team that wasn't going to make the playoffs. And uh, obviously some of that fervor has died down a little bit, but not a whole lot. Uh, and – uh, it's a fan base that's kind of gone through the ups and downs of building a team, uh, having a lot of setbacks early on. Uh, they didn't have really any farm system to speak of. Uh, so that was a long, long path to build that. And then they've had their moments where, you know, 2018, they went to the uh, Western Conference Final against Vegas. I think that stung Winnipeg a little bit because uh, at the time, here you have a first-year expansion team <laughs> coming in yeah. and you're kind of stealing your thunder. You're, you're Winnipeg fans and you're long-suffering and you've never had a lot of uh, success in this team. This, you know, kind of new kid on the block comes in and uh, steals your candy, so to speak. And uh, But uh, they've gotten through it. Uh, and the city, I think, is in a much better place overall. Um, I think in some ways that that 1996 departure woke the city up a little bit and the city realized that it had to kind of uh, get, get its own affairs in order and kind of uh, work on some things. And uh, 
it, it took a long time, but you know, you look now it's 25 years since that team left. Um, and the city, you know, for the most part, is in a better place. I mean, the pandemic obviously has uh, been a setback, but, um, you know, you're, you have more people staying in, in the city, um, both hockey players and just, you know, your, your everyday population. And that, that's a big thing for Winnipeg. I mean, Winnipeg, you know, is it's a city that kind of gets picked on a lot, you know, and uh, it takes a lot of heat from a lot of people. But I would say anybody, you know, like, I love Winnipeg. I mean, I think it's just an, it's an excellent place to live. I mean, it's got a great quality of life. Uh, there's a ton to like about it. And certainly if you're a hockey player or a hockey fan or a hockey reporter, I don't think there's any better place to be than Winnipeg. That's uh, I agree a hundred percent. And uh, yeah, certainly for hockey fans, it's, it's, it's an unbelievable hockey town and for fans of, of other teams, uh, uh, and particularly those fans. And once things open up, uh, who like to go from building to building, you've got to experience uh, a hockey game at the uh, at the Bell MTS Center. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, um, yeah. If you're a fan and you, you you have an opportunity, I say take it. I mean, you know, especially you know you got there in a, in a winter in the winter and you kind of experience a real Winnipeg experience and you know you know like it's it's kind of a thing i think it's it's bragging rights right like you know it's a thing you can check off your list and, that's right um i just i just find it's just a great place people are amazing there um you make friends for life there uh and it's you know it's just a fun place to be it's got its own kind of vibe um, you know, it's, it's, like I said, it's, it's a city that, that gets picked on a lot, but I think, you know, a lot of people don't really understand that it's a hidden gem and, uh, you know, it's honestly, I think one of the NHL's best little secrets. Well, we have to tip our hats and say congratulations to you on it, on it, marking a bit of an anniversary for you as well. And, and your years of coverage of that team. And, and of course, um, as our listeners know, we, we, mention your name uh, whether you're on the show like this or not your name uh, comes up quite often on on this show uh for your wealth of knowledge uh regarding the ahl now that now that that has become the center of your um media focus um so congratulations to you and and your work and uh we can't thank you enough for for joining us today to kind of put a put a nice uh, punctuation mark on the end of what has been a truly odd season and uh, a bit of a preview of, of hopefully a more normal uh, season for all of us to come. Well, thank you. You, you both, you know, I mean, I love listening to this show. Uh, you do phenomenal work, both with the podcasts and just your day-to-day coverage uh, of all things Laval, all things Lehigh Valley, all things hockey in general. Uh, and, uh, you know, you're, both of you are a tremendous asset, I think, uh, to the hockey world, I think to the American Hockey League uh, in particular. We appreciate very that. Kind. It's, that is very kind. Um, and we appreciate that very much. Um, and we appreciate working with you. We'll, we, we, we'll have you back on the show. There will be plenty of updates coming this summer. So uh, it won't be too long before before you're visiting us again here on the Press Zone. So thanks again, Patrick. Thanks, Patrick, Patrick Williams, uh, the AHL correspondent at NHL.com and for EP Ringside. Patrick, remind folks again where they can find you on Twitter. 
The best place to find me on Twitter is uh, P. Williams AHL. Uh, so kind of self-explanatory <laughs> Twitter handle. Uh, <laughs> short and to the point. Excellent. That's at P. Williams AHL. Give him a follow on Twitter and uh, we'll have you back again real soon. Great. Thank you, guys. Thanks. I have to say, every time we have Patrick on the show, um, I think the three of us... A, could just talk for hours and hours and hours, um, and B, it's just, he's such a wealth of information. Uh, it just has uh, great stories to tell, but also great insight and great connections around the league to bring us all of the latest for things happening all over the league. And, and Rick, I think that was a, a fascinating interview. Tremendous. And we covered a lot of ground. And uh, yeah, we, we have uh, this connection with Patrick that we can we can talk for hours. And so it's... Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's it was a wonderful conversation. Be sure, absolutely, and and do be sure to follow him on Twitter at p williams ahl. Uh, he's a, he's a wealth of knowledge and wealth of information. Uh, you don't want to miss anything that he has to put out there. Um, so thank you to Patrick for for joining us. Thank you for joining us uh, for another great episode of the Press Zone. Uh, it was a really fun episode today, um, and. Even though the AHL season is officially over, believe me, uh, there is no offseason here at the Press Zone and at the AHL Report. We will be on the job all summer long. Um, The Press Zone in particular has uh, a lot of content in store all summer. This is where we get to really uh, get into the time of having some really fun exclusive interviews and guests uh, on the show. Uh, We've already got some of them starting to get lined up in the upcoming weeks. Uh, So I'm not going to quite reveal yet who those people are going to be. But trust me, you're not going to want to miss some of these interviews that we have coming with um, insiders around the league, former players, uh, alumni, uh, management, you name it. Uh, There's there's a lot of great stuff coming and you don't want to miss a minute of it. So be sure wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, be sure just take a look down. Look. Look at your phone. Look at the computer. Are you subscribed? If you're not, just take a second right now and hit the button. Make sure you're subscribed so that you don't ever miss an episode. And uh, Rick, I think uh, we're going to enjoy some second round playoff hockey action, which is already underway. And uh, it'll be another great show next week. It'll be tremendous for sure. Absolutely. So enjoy uh, the official, I guess, start of summer, really, now that June is here. Uh, Stay safe. Enjoy the beautiful weather. Enjoy playoff hockey. And we'll see you right back here next week for another great episode of The Press Zone. Click subscribe to never miss an episode of The Press Zone on Rocket Sports Radio. Visit ahlreport.com for the latest news on hockey prospects.